candid conversations that might just change how you look at the world. Let's bridge cultures, transcend borders, and build a global family of change makers. Welcome to If By Chance. Near-death experiences can change the way we look at the world. And spoiler alert, during this conversation, Chris, a virtual educator, motivational speaker, and avid runner, shares his. I am virtually a teacher because I teach online. I teach special education middle school for Minnesota public school students. How that works is we are partnered with a public school called Houston Public Schools. Houston, Minnesota. I have to say that fast because people always think Texas. Right. If I'm not fast enough. Are they actually in a school or they're doing by distance? So it's like homeschooling. Yeah, there, it's a form of homeschooling, but we are all licensed teachers. We are the only public school in Minnesota who does all online teaching. And we actually have on-site, an on-site high school, an on-site elementary school, but we are separate from them. However, we also share the same contract. So that is one of the huge benefits is that we have union protection. We uh, have pretty good representation for our union. And so it's very comforting to know that if I mess up, if I have bad connections, I'm not going to get fired one because of one day I had a bad connection on my computer. Yeah. So is it run like a normal school day then? Yes. Yep. We have six periods. It is pretty slick. The uh, sessions are 55 minutes long. And then Wednesday, as we're taping this, we have a truncated day because we have found out that students don't like to wake up earlier for homeroom. So we shortened the uh, school day for Wednesday. So each class period is 40 minutes. Here in Australia, we were in lockdown in Victoria for 260 something. I'm not sure exactly. It all bled together days. Mm -hmm. And a lot of students really suffered from virtual fatigue. Mm -hmm. So how is it that you're running a virtual school with the same kind of day, same length of periods? How are your students able to perform in that environment? Well, it's by choice. Many of our students, unfortunately, come to us because they either have medical issues that make it very difficult or impossible to go to public school. Some students come to us because they have been bullied and the public school environment is just not serving their social and emotional needs. And we, then we have other students who are athletes who perform at such a high level that they need more flexibility in their schedules. And so we offer that option to them because if a student misses a class connect, as they call them, our classes, they can watch a recording of it and then still have 
the rest of the day to complete the work. And, and for those students who struggle with anxiety, we have many students who struggle with anxiety, who struggle with other social issues that we don't have that much pressure on them like a public school does. If students want to keep their camera off, we allow them that because there are some students who have high anxiety about being seen. And so we want to give them that comfort level. As long as they're doing their work and they're participating in some way, because we have chats where they can chat in a whole group or private chat the teacher, that flexibility really is beneficial for them. Okay, so it's not like a flipped classroom situation where they're watching the videos or whatever, the material at a different time and then coming to the classroom for help. It's the same sort of format in that the teacher lectures the class and then the students do the work. There are some aspects of it that are flipped. Because I'm a special education teacher and the IEP, the Individualized Education Plan for each student, has me working with them a set number of minutes each day, what we'll do is we'll meet and we'll watch a recording that the teacher made in a flip classroom mode. We'll talk about the video and they'll tie into what I'm working with them so we can make sure we're making progress on their individual goals. That's pretty fantastic that everything is recorded because doesn't that mean that the students are not going to be left behind, hopefully? Yep, that's the goal, is to make sure that students are still making progress on their level, but they still have grade-level content available to them. Hmm. And how long have you been doing this? This is my 12th year, which, when I think about it, is shocking even to me, because... When I started this, it was basically because my wife had twins and I was teaching in a school about 80 kilometers away from my house. And at the time when she was pregnant with the twins, we had one son and that was enough. But then you throw three kids under four into the mix. That wasn't going to work. So I switched my 80 kilometer one way commute to 80 steps. And I've been doing it since 2012. It's been serving our family. The amazing thing is, Stacey, I am closer to my online colleagues than the vast majority of the colleagues I had when I was teaching in a brick and mortar school. And why do you think that is? Because every day we're connecting. We are talking on Skype. We're emailing each other. We, even though we are separate in our house, in our different houses, in our different places around the state, we are extremely connected. And it's that need for collaboration that really makes us a strong group, a, a strong teaching staff. Is there a common thread in terms of the teachers that you work with that you think is different than a brick and mortar school? No, I don't. I mean, I think we all love students. We all love teaching and we all love making a difference. And maybe we also love wearing slippers more than the average person. I don't know. But 
we come from different places, but we still have that that need and that desire to reach kids in interesting and engaging ways. And have you always wanted to be a teacher? No. I, I wish I could say yes. That was always my goal, but not really. I originally, when I started going to university, I went into television. I started working on the working backstage of a television studio that was connected to my university. And then I got into writing, doing promotions and sometimes writing scripts for the university. But then I realized this isn't really doing much for me. I love the people I'm working with, but I can't see myself doing this for 30 years. And I already had some friends who were teachers or going into the teaching program. So I figured, you know what? I'll give this teaching thing a try. And I, I already enjoyed working with kids. So working with kids, having good, a fun time with them and getting paid for it seemed like a good deal. And are there any moments that really stand out to you that have helped you be a better teacher? Well, there is that time I almost died. Okay. Tell me about that. I scraped the back of my right hand on my garage wall. And to quote one of my favorite movies of all time, I said, "'Tis but a scratch." It wasn't bleeding. I went back into the house to wash off my hand, get a bandage on it, start my day of online teaching. Three days later, I wake up and I find a lacrosse ball-sized bump on my right elbow. I go to the urgent care clinic in town. They say, eh, it might be bursitis, which is an inflammation of the bursa sac in your joints. But keep an eye on it and let us know if, let us know if anything happens. So I went home and I kept an eye on that bump as it grew and grew and grew until my right arm was three times the size of my left. Becky found a babysitter for the kids and then took me back to the emergency room. They quickly admitted me because, hello, huge right arm. But then they found that as they were taking my blood pressure and taking my other vitals, that I had also gone septic, which is a reaction that the body has, but it's more like an overreaction. Because the sepsis will try to fight off any foreign agent in your body. But sometimes it can send a chemical to your bloodstream that alone could kill you. So I already had two strikes against me and I had no idea I was even playing a game. So they keep me overnight for observation. In the morning, that attending doctor comes to my, up to my uh, hospital bed and says something I will never forget, Stacy. She says, Mr. Gordon, this is beyond us. We can do nothing more for you here. No. Where do you want to go? Well, I quickly said Mayo, as in the Mayo Clinic, because the headquarters 
was two hours to our east in Rochester, Minnesota. So I called Becky, told her what the deal was, and then they loaded me into a, an airplane and flew me to Rochester, Minnesota to St. Mary's, which is the main hospital in the Mayo Clinic system. And it's there that they diagnosed me with necrotizing fasciitis, also known as flesh-eating bacteria. Once they knew what was going on, they quickly got to work. They got me into my first surgery. And after that, I don't remember anything for five days because that's how long I was in a coma. In that time, the infection went so far to my right arm that they were telling my wife that they would have to amputate. There wasn't a chance. It was a certainty to them. Luckily, though, I still have hand function because the attending physical therapist saw that I still could move my fingers when they prompted them. So they elected to remove skin from my left thigh and place it on my right hand and forearm. And so since this is my thigh and my hand, I call this my thand. <laughs> it's a very uh, smooth looking thand. It is expert. It's world-class. It actually is a, a miracle. It, it actually turned out as well as it did. It is yes, a it masterful is. piece of work. But this is where when you solve one problem, another problem rises. So they saved my arm. Hooray. But now I have a huge gaping hole in my leg. So what they elected to do then was they removed my outermost quadricep muscle because they couldn't close the wound in naturally. So they took out that muscle and then they installed knobs on either side of the wound and then placed a shoestring type contraption called a Jacob's Ladder on the inside of the wound. And then they tightened the knobs over time to close that gaping hole. So are you telling me that you've got a muscle from somewhere else in your leg now? Am I hearing that correctly? No, no, I have, I am missing a muscle from my leg. So okay. instead of having a quadricep, I have a tripod. Okay. So yes, they were able to close that wound in my leg now, but then I still had all this exposed skin and tissue. So they took skin up and down my back and my legs so they can grab uh, samples of skin to place on my arms, shoulder, chest, and back. And if you look at those areas now, they look like I am either an extra on The Walking Dead or, as I like to say, a discount Deadpool. It's, it's not pretty there. I scare children when I go to the public pool. Anyway, most of those surgeries happened within the first five days of my hospitalization, all when I was in a coma. Then, as you could probably guess, I woke up. And soon after my, my arrival into the world in my new body, 
all the physical bacteria have been taken care of, but I found myself with personal bacteria. I had questions that were rummaging through my mind. These questions had no answers. I was asking myself, what was I going to be able to do with my new body when I fully recovered, if I fully recovered? How was I going to be able to relate to Becky, the kids, other family members and friends, my colleagues? How was I going to handle everyday struggles? And I had no answers. It started sending me down a negative spiral because the things I was able to do before I couldn't do now. And I had no idea how even I was going to teach online. Luckily though, I didn't have a lot of time to ruminate on those questions because during one of our daily visits, Becky came into the hospital room and started telling me about how people were stepping up for us in various ways. Our neighbors were clearing off our driveways. We had law enforcement agents keep an eye on our house because we live in a small town. And the term flesh-eating bacteria spreads as quickly as the bacteria itself. Everyone knew what was going on. My colleagues who lived in the Rochester area would stop by my in-law's house. Becky's parents lived in Rochester and housed Becky, the kids, and Max the dog. And we had thought this was going to be two days. So they had barely anything of their own. But my friends and colleagues stepped up to donate food and toys and clothing and play with the kids. My brother, who lives in Michigan, stayed a week and a half, sometimes sleeping in the hospital so he could get updates. And he even bought me an iPad so I could entertain myself. And when I heard all of those updates... I felt that personal bacteria wash away. And what was left was what I now call the attitude of gratitude or TAG for short. And this left me with questions I could answer. And the first question was, what good things did I have in my life? Now, Stacy, I'm going to ask you, when I ask you that question, what good things do you have in your life? What would you answer with? Family, friends. And, and that's exactly what I said. Family, friends, my house, my job. But then I was thinking about it. And I thought, well, what about the small things that actually bring us that daily dose of joy? Well, I thought about, for example, the Netflix show Daredevil that actually premiered while I was in the hospital. I could watch that on the iPad that my brother bought me and just binge and binge and binge in between my surgeries. I thought about how the window in my hospital room didn't shine the sun directly into my eyes, which sounds really random and obscure, but when you are confined to one space, Having to ask someone for one more thing is draining. And I'm blessed I didn't have to do that and ask them to roll down the shades. And I do this on the daily. I think about what small things 
am I grateful for? Or make my job easier? Or just make me smile? So I think about my mouse here that's held together by duct tape. And I know it looks pretty beaten up and rough, but it still works. Reminds me of myself. I even think of my right armpit. And you're probably wondering, Chris, why do you have to go there? Why do you have to talk about your right arm? I, I just want to know why. Because, Stacy, my right armpit is covered in skin grafts. Skin grafts are non-porous, which means they don't sweat, which means I have not had to use deodorant on my right armpit for eight years. That's a time saver. And you know how much money you save by not having used deodorant on one armpit? Not a lot, but it's still kind of funny to say, and it helps me humanize my situation. And if I can find the humor in what I had to go through, maybe I can help someone else do the same with theirs, or at least be a little more comfortable talking with a guy who is missing a nipple. Because you don't hear about that every day. And so if I can use my situation to help someone else feel better or connect with someone else in, a, in another way, I'm thankful for it. Can I ask you? Yes. Would you go back to a point in time before this happened? For my family's sake and my friend's sake, yes. For my sake, no. Because I feel that this has made me a better person and has given me a greater purpose than what I had before. Not that being a teacher is not a great purpose, but I feel I have grown in a way that many others haven't had to. And I'm able to help people make connections and realizations that can help them better their lives without them having to spend two months in the hospital. Can you describe what the impact has been on your friends? I think at first they were worried that I would try to push myself too far because as soon as I could, I started running again. I was a pretty avid runner before the hospitalization. And on my last day of home therapy services, I went for a run. And for the most part, I've been going pretty consistently ever since. In fact, I'm training for my next marathon. At first, they were pretty amazed slash stunned what I was doing. But once they realized that I'm Chris 2.0, I have some upgrades, some updates. But otherwise, I'm the same guy. But they are just very accepting of who I am now. I'm weird. I'm geeky. I still have my unique sense of humor. But now I have a higher purpose than what I had before. And for the most part, they're accepting of it. I haven't heard anyone say, I can't be your friend anymore because you're now a public speaker. And what was the worst and or best thing that someone said to you? That is a good question because 
there's a lot of different ways you could take that question. Early on, someone asked me if I could put on a shirt when I would run races or when I would go swimming because, like I said, I look like the before in an OSHA safety picture. I look like I'm a mess. But I can't let someone else's opinion of me affect how I live my life. And I've also had other people come up to me and say thank you for showing your scars because I'm a little more comfortable in showing mine. That's probably one of the nicest things everyone has ever said to me about this. Because if I can help someone in a positive way, then despite the million dollar price tag, the hospitalization cost, it was worth it. That's expensive. It was, it's a blessing that my wife's insurance was a very good program because <laughs> it was quite costly. In fact, when I was uh, training for my black belt, my wife forbade me from doing any breaks with my right arm because they're already cost enough. That sounds reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> so you really are a role model. Thank you. Did you decide to move into this public speaking realm to have more of an impact? Yes. I, I thought for a while about it. And at first, I didn't feel like I had earned the right. Yeah, I survived something terrible, but what did I have to share? But as I was getting back in the world and I felt this renewed spirit to put myself out there and challenge myself. I felt that I shouldn't keep this to myself. It would be selfish of me to not share my story because if I could in my forties earn a black belt, earn another teaching license, set a personal record in the marathon by 29 minutes become a professional speaker, become a professional author. If I can do this because of my greater gratitude, positivity, and resilience, I would be a fraud if I didn't share that with others. Because being someone who lives in gratitude, who lives in positivity, would want that for other people. And who would you say you are trying to reach? I want to reach that person who feels that they can just survive, that surviving is enough. Because I'm not saying that surviving is not awesome. I'm happy that you're alive. But I want you to have the best life possible. Maybe that includes other activities than what I like. Maybe you're not into running or martial arts or cosplay where you can use your scars to dress up like characters. But whatever you want to do, I want you to do it to the best of your ability. Developing more positivity for what you have in your life and being able to push through those hard times and see the beauty of the lessons that you learned through it, that's what I want for you. You spoke of 
personal bacteria. Is that right? Is that what you called it? Yes. I feel that there are a lot of people who are just surviving because of their personal bacteria. They don't have any physical scars, but mentally they're finding it very difficult to do Mm -hmm. anything other than getting through the day. Yes. Do you feel it's much different for you now that you've been through that physical trauma than it might have been when you had struggles previously? I feel that it's much easier for me to dig deep and to keep pushing because of what I've gone through. Because I know what it takes to overcome those challenges. And where a setback might have put me in a funk or I don't want to say depression. I don't want to, I don't want to use that term facetiously, but if I were depressed or sad about something before for say two days, three days, four days, now it's like maybe an hour. Because I know that there is much more to worry about. There are much harder struggles to deal with. And there are, as I said before, I have all these positive things to see around me. I'm going to maybe focus on those to get me back on a path of progress. To me, it sounds like you're talking about building the muscle of self-regulation. So when we when we look at small children, sometimes we almost need to engineer situations for a child to practice that mm-hmm. emotional recovery. Do you, do you feel like that is what this experience has done for you? And is there something that the rest of us could do to build that muscle as adults? That's a very good question, Stacey. Yes, I do feel that this experience has given me the chance to practice that muscle. Uh, Gratitude is not innate. It's not like an instinct. It's something we have to develop. But I think that the more, it's like you said, building a muscle, the more you do it, the stronger that that becomes the stronger the reflex to becoming positive and grateful for what's around you will be. And so if I were to impart one tactic is the tactic of gratitude goggles. Now there's a movie that was released a couple years ago called free guy starring Ryan. Love Reynolds. that movie. Yeah. You've seen it before. Seen it several times. All right. So for those who haven't, Guy, who is the main character who Ryan Reynolds plays, he is an NPC, a non-playable character in a video game. And I'm not going to get into too much of the details because it's a bit of a spoiler. But during a seemingly normal gameplay, Guy comes upon these glasses. Well, he puts them on and automatically his world explodes with possibilities because he sees what the regular human player sees. He sees all the side quests, all the power-ups, all the weapons, all the health bonuses. And once he does that, 
his world is changed forever because he's not seeing the blandness of his prior existence. And with gratitude goggles, we can look around and see all the great things that we have around us. And it doesn't erase the bad things. If I put on gratitude goggles, it doesn't take away the fact that I have five bills coming due I have to pay. But I can look around and I can see a fantastic computer that I'm using to connect to a wonderful person half a world away. I can look around and see all those great graphic novels that I have been given or I have bought with the job that I am blessed to have. I look to my left and I see all the Transformers that I, as a almost 50-year-old man, probably shouldn't be having in my collection, but I don't care because I'm an adult. And if I want to collect Transformers, I'll collect Transformers. And none of this is making me any richer monetarily. However, by seeing the wealth of all that is around me, I can just feel such positivity and gratitude for those items and the joy they give me. And it makes those bad times, those negative things in my vision, much smaller and much easier to handle. And so I urge everyone today to put on gratitude goggles. See what value you have in your world right now. And enjoy the fact that you have those treasures in your life, even though they may not bring you any monetary value. I am so glad that you didn't say, sit down and write three things in a gratitude journal. <laughs> I'm going to start using the idea of gratitude goggles with my whole family. And I think that's really going to help my children build that muscle it is funny, though, because I, in my book that I have recently written, there is a journal that you can use to write down things you're thankful for, but I also do talk about the gratitude goggles. So they're both in there. <laughs> well, it's good to have choices. Yes. And is there any last thing you want to leave us with today? I want everyone today to pass on perfection and go for greatness. We are inundated with ads, commercials, visions of perfection. But when you pass a billboard that has a model who looks just like an Aphrodite, how long did it take that model to strike that pose or to get down to that certain weight to be able to fit in that dress? Or how long did it, did it take her to put on that makeup? And how long will she be able to look that way? Perfection is fleeting at best. However, if we strive for greatness in whatever we do, and by doing that, we are consistent in our practices, we are diligent in our efforts, and we are perseverant in those bad times, we might reach perfection once in a while, but we will always be great. A life is a series of moments that we compare to what has gone before. We have a choice as to how we see them, and the more we practice, the better we'll get. You'll find links in the show notes 
to learn more about Chris, his book, and how to connect. Now, dear listener, it's your turn. Have you got something to add to the conversation? Then get in touch via the links in the show notes. Whether you have questions, a message of support, or resources that you think might help, we'd love to hear from you. And if by chance, you know someone with a story that will inspire others, be sure to let us know. Your contributions help turn inspiration into action, drive positive change and make life just that little bit better. And if this conversation inspired you to expand your worldview, head to hellohuman.global to join the conversation. 